Racing wraps up down at Sam Houston Race Park on Saturday night. Closing night is Saturday, June 18th with six stakes races on tap. Our friends down at SHRP have partnered up with the In The Money Media Network this year, and we've seen great returns, including during the Thoroughbred Meet and during this quarter horse meet specifically. Myself, Nick Tamara, will be along this afternoon to do a podcast with Martha Clausen, quarter horse expert, as we cover Saturday night's program. Make sure to have a listen and support the action down at Sam Houston Race Park. Welcome to a special In The Money Players podcast. This is the Sam Houston Race Park closing night edition for the Quarter Horse Meet. Closing night takes place on Saturday evening, June 18th. It is the end of the long stint at Sam Houston. It goes back to early January during the Thoroughbred Meet. We've had the Quarter Horses for the last 25 cards, including this six-race, six-stake race program. I should say on Saturday night's 10 race card, Nick Tamaro here to go through the stakes races with you and some of the highlights of the meet and joining me, the only authority I could go to as far as quarter horse racing goes, Martha Clausen, quarter horse aficionado. Martha, how are you? Oh, uh, I'm great, Nick. It's a pleasure to be on with you. And uh, I do love the quarters. I mean, I've done thoroughbreds for a long time as well, but there's just something for me so special about the quarter horses, the people, the action. They're beautiful horses. I mean, you're getting your feet wet too. And, uh, you know, it, it's just so different than the thoroughbreds. It, it is. It's, it's, it has its own uh, own sort of differences and setup, and, and a lot of it is very, very enjoyable. I've, I've actually enjoyed this is my second year calling quarter horses and uh, yeah, I I've, I've looked forward to it. It's been a lot more fun than I anticipated before I tried last year. Of course, I was probably a little scared, a little more so scared <laughs> than I am now, but um, no, it's been a lot of fun. And, and I think we see a lot of really talented jockeys and, and trainers and horses on a nightly basis. So it's been very enjoyable. I should say that uh, this uh, broadcast is being brought to you by the TQHA. We'd like to thank the TQHA and all the help that uh, we've gotten at Sam Houston from the great state of Texas to uh, make things happen purse-wise. Martha, when did you really get into quarter horses? I know you worked at Sam Houston for a long time. You obviously were in publicity and, and uh, for both meets, but you gravitated towards the quarter horses more so after you stopped working at Sam Houston? Uh, kind of, yeah. What happened was, um, well, it was a funny story too. I remember you know, I grew up in Buffalo, New York. My very first thoroughbred race I ever saw was at Fort Erie, which was just 10 minutes from my home. And I rode horses as a kid. Well, I love the thoroughbreds and I'd never seen quarter horses. When I first started working at Sam Houston, we had both meets and I was intrigued. I said, oh my God, they look different. They've got big, broad, you know, chest. They've got big, you know, handsome hindquarters. They've got everything. They were really good looking. And I remember standing there and somebody said, oh, blink and you'll miss it. And that hit me, Nick, because I said, what? That's the way they're talking about this breed of just blink and you miss it. And I mean, definitely when you call that 110-yard Texas Twister, that was almost the case. But I, I felt like, gosh, that's not really fair. So I kind of, after working full-time 10 uh, years with the evening racing, so exhausting, I don't have to tell you, and we used to have five days a week, I really wanted to try different things. And so I started branching out 
in doing contract work and kind of my own thing. And I was working at that point with AQHA. I started a program for them called the Q Racing Aces. And they sent me, it was about four or five of us, but I coordinated. We went all over the country. You name a track, we were there. And we were kind of ambassadors. We were explaining the difference between thoroughbred and quarter horse. And we were uh, handicapping and doing interviews and all that stuff. So that's really what got me started. Then AQHA couldn't really afford the program anymore. But at that point, I'd been on the road so much and people got to know me that now it's a regular thing. Uh, obviously, I've got my gig at Horseshoe Indianapolis. I do videos for them and I go up for their all quarter horse. I'm always at Delta for the Lee Berwick and the other million dollar races in Louisiana. It just worked out perfectly for me because it's something I love doing. And then, of course, I get to do it in Houston, which is my home track. So that's kind of what, what how it evolved. Yeah, very exciting. And obviously, I know that we can go to you for more information throughout the year on the quarter horses. Of course, uh, last night we had a couple of races that are on the uh, are going to be part of the AQHA Bank of America Challenge series that culminates in October at Horseshoe Indianapolis. Yeah, it was perfect timing. It was so much fun because I had done a video for them uh, for race nine at Horseshoe Indianapolis and the TV guys were in my ear. They were saying, you're on in Indiana. And I was getting ready to do the paddock preview at Sam Houston as well. It was so funny. But the great thing is, um, you know, both Pete Scarmardo and um, and um, Diaz and all these guys that we interviewed last night, they had never been there. So it's going to be a treat for them. Horseshoe Indianapolis used to be Indiana Grand. Oh, my gosh. They love racing up there. The quarter horse program is booming. The thoroughbred program is booming. It's a little, you know, it's about 45 minutes from downtown Indianapolis. But I'm telling you, Nick, they love their racing. They put a lot of time and money into it. And it's the program has grown year after year after year. So people are excited about going to uh, Horseshoe Indianapolis for the first time. I'll be there on October 22nd, which will be really fun for me. You know, I work so well with Rachel and John Dooley and uh, Tammy Knox up there, but some of them don't know the Texas connection. So it's great for me to be the little, um, you know, liaison for all my quarter horse Texas people, make them feel that much more comfortable up there. I think we'll be well represented by Adequan Derby Finals winner. He's just dealing also a tremendously impressive winner last night, scoring uh, by about as wide a margin as you'll often see going 400 yards. Well, absolutely. And what was funny, you know, Francisco Calderon, I know you've heard me interview him. I do fuss over him a little bit. But the bottom line is he just started in Texas. And he was always a good rider, but he was real shy and just never really got his name out there. And then all of a sudden people started paying attention. He got to Rio Doso. He had a oh, he he had a tough beat last year because he was riding a a quarter horse, a juvenile that was on the, its way to going into the triple crown. That means the Rio Doso um, Futurity, Rainbow Futurity, and All American Futurity, and he lost in the final. But you know, it wasn't anybody's fault. It's just these things happen in, in racing, thoroughbred and quarter horse, obviously. But then he was voted AQHA champion uh, rider of the uh, year for AQHA. Really cool. So, you know, he's somebody, Pete Scarmaro, what a great guy. I mean, he's a cattle rancher. He makes his money off his cattle, but he's always loved horses. And he's admitted, he said, look, I'm not making the money off the horses, but I love them. He breeds them. He owns them. He takes such pride in them. And, you know, what a nice, classy guy, class, class, class. And then, of course, the uh, Adequan, I mean, the John Deere Juvenile. Wow, that's the second year in a row that Diaz and Urieta won. And I think you remember we talked about it in the show. De Laurentiis was impressive last year. Beautiful horse went on to the final. And uh, they that um, uh, apolitical dynamite, whoo, he was dynamite last night. I mean, how, how cool was that the way he finished? 
Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to be really interested in seeing how these Diaz two-year-olds shake out as they get older, because obviously he won the the Sam Houston Futurity with By Corona By. He won the Consolation with Orbison, and then he won last night with A Political Dynamite, who yeah. really they all look outstanding. And it, it looks like By Corona By might just be the best of them right now, but that doesn't necessarily seem how it's going to shake out in the long run. So it's pretty pretty interesting and it'll be kind of fun to watch. Yes. Juan Diaz Jr. obviously on his way to a second consecutive training title at right. Sam Houston. He has the lead of, uh, I want to say 13 wins. You just sent. Yeah. Toby got one last night and uh, Galvan, uh, they're, they're in second place tied for with 10 wins. So obviously he's pretty much locked it up for the second year in a row. And he has more purse earnings than the next three guys in the standings combined. So it's combined. been a big, big help on that with the Sam Houston Futurity. Well, Juan Diaz Jr. going to be well represented in some of these stakes races that we'll be offering up on Saturday night. Let's dig into them, Martha, beginning sure. in race number two with the Sam Houston 250. This will kick off our early pick four at a 12% takeout. And I think we're going to have a pretty heavy favorite here. You referenced the Texas Twister a little bit earlier with number one, El Tartanero Jess, a son of apolitical Jess who brings in a four race winning streak, including a score last time out. And that very race the Texas Twister. Yeah, that was a super cool race and a very nice owner too. And he said, yes, I've won it a couple times, including I have the track record holder. And I was like, wow, that's awesome. But yeah, that was a huge race for that horse. He draws the rail. I'm not sure if that's going to matter too much, Nick, but uh, great connections. And of course, Ali Rivera. Wow, look at the meat he's having. And you know, he's just 20 years old. I'll do a little bit more on him in my post uh, I don't want to jinx him. I, I went in yesterday. I said, I don't want to jinx you. Let's not talk too much now because, you know, you've got Urietta and um, you got two more nights to go with two really skilled riders that do it. But the kid's just 20 years old. He's so grateful for these opportunities. And he rode that horse really well. So to go from 110 to 250, no problem. Only, uh, you know, teeny bit of a worry about the rail because, you know, we watch enough races to know that sometimes that is a factor. But you're right. He's going to go off as the very, very heavy favorite. Yeah, and, and, and a likely winner, I would say. He, uh, definitely, Ali needs to be careful of Luis Vivanco. Luis was walking back from the jocks room when I was getting in my car last night. So I feel like <laughs> seeing him might have been might have been a bit of a good sign. For, for, for <laughs> yeah, for sure. The only horse in there I think we definitely have to take a look at is I'm a Cat Boy. That's a horse that exits the $393,000 Texas Classic Derby at Lone Star. And I think you and I have talked about it. Uh, you know, it's not a big deal, especially for these shorter races uh, to come off a layoff. He hasn't raced since Lone Star last fall, but that's a nice horse. So, you know, you never want to put all your eggs in one basket, but obviously uh, the rail horse seems like he's really, really going to be tough to beat. It does appear that way. I'm a cat boy and Petoronado, probably the best alternatives. Petoronado also coming off a win at 110. We will see if she is capable of taking that jump in class. So we're going to go from 110 to 870. And really the best matchup on the entire card, in my opinion, is in race three, the Jesse Yoka Memorial at 870. And that matchup will take place between number four, the King's Horse, and number five, shockingly famous. I will admit, Martha, that in retrospect, looking at this race again, I probably reversed the morning line. I think shockingly famous is going to be the morning line favorite and the King's horse or will end up being the post-time favorite and the King's horse will probably be the second choice. But boy, it was tough to deny how impressively the King's horse won the Governor's Cup Marathon. I'm, you're you're going to be more familiar than me. The horse that's beaten shockingly famous in his last two, uh, Waskily Waddle Wabbit, he must be pretty good. 
Yeah, he's a, he's a uh, two-time, either two or three-time AQHA uh, uh, champion. And, you know, when we have when we talk about that, uh, we, we're not going to hold one of the distance races. They kind of divvy them up all over. But that horse is qualified for the AQHA distance challenge, just like we have the John Deere and the, and the Adequan. And that horse has won it, like, just like, I mean, not even a contest, you know, I mean, just boom. So uh, yeah, Wascally Rabbit, very, very tough. And when you run against somebody of that caliber, that's really something. Now, having said that, the horse did have a pretty tough campaign, shockingly famous, and has never run at Sam Houston. And every now and then you'll see a situation. Remington does have a one mile oval, so at least he doesn't have to navigate the bull ring like some of them do. But I'll tell you what, that's the only reason that I would say, you know, don't put all your eggs in his basket. The King's horse, obviously, what, 15, a combined 15 lengths for his last two. Are you kidding me? You know, and then the other horse that I'm, I don't know if you, you know, uh, if you have any validity in that, but SLP mighty high, that's a nice distance horse that has drawn the outside hole repeatedly and now finally gets an enviable inside post. It'll be interesting to see. I don't know if you caught that, but Karen Jacks, who was one of our thoroughbred trainers, trains this horse. Uh, it was claimed back at, at Lone Star. I thought that's interesting. So obviously that's a big price, 15 to one. If if this horse can take advantage of that inside post instead of being hung out on the seven and eight like he has been previously. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I picked the horse third um, with that in mind, and, and I really expected him to win last time out. He was wide the entire way. That was a race that kind of collapsed in the final furlong. But uh, this horse, interestingly, is also owned by Carl Moore, yeah. who owns a lot of, uh, of thoroughbreds and, and owned Chamberlain Bridge, for whom okay. a race is named up at Lone Star that they ran on Memorial Day. So kind of fun to see the thoroughbred connection still represented here. I during was surprised. I mean, I was surprised to tell you, we've done, I've done a lot of interviews with Carl Moore because he had uh, Brett Calhoun. Oh, my gosh, he's won a lot of races. Sure. Really, really nice, nice guy from up there. So we'll see. It'd be nice if he comes down for that race. I don't know if he will. But Karen's a really good horsewoman in her own right. And you saw quite a few. Uh, she has multiple stakes wins at Sam Houston. So that's going to be a very interesting race. I'm kind of excited about that one. She had two stakes wins, in fact, at the recently concluded thoroughbred meet with Nomas Tequila, who is running in Sunday's stakes race up at Lone Star. I don't remember what it's called, but it's it's one of the Texas bred races. Maybe the Danny Shiflet Scholarship going seven and a half on the turf. We'll see if uh, Nomas Tequila is holding that good form. The third stake race on this card is the Sam Houston 550. Pretty self-explanatory. It's at 550 yards. I'll tell you what I found funny about this race, Martha, is that leading trainer Juan Diaz Jr. has won two straight with number three, The Eruption. And he is stretching out from 110 to 550, not the uh, normal progression and distance that we'll see. No, that's that's really interesting. It's a five-year-old horse, too, so it's kind of interesting he's playing around. But if you look, he's definitely competed at 400, whatever. I thought that was an interesting choice for him, to tell you the truth. He's going to have it tough because last year we had a dead heat between two horses, and they're back again this year, Ghost Bear and Dak. They dead heated in this race last year. That's right. I couldn't remember. I didn't remember that. I did not call that race. That was that was Belmont weekend last year. So, or maybe it was the weekend after the Belmont. It could. You no, know, I think it was. Um, uh, you know who I think was when we had our rotation. Called it. I think that was uh, Jonathan Hurwitz was yeah, down right, there for that. Right. Yeah, I but no, it was Dak, uh, I called Dak in the next start to TQHA right? five fifty that he missed by a neck to ten cent. <laughs> hey, let me tell you, that horse is unbelievable. You know, I kept looking and I said, how do you win all that money? And then I look back, he won the TQHA sale futurity, like 400000 when he was a two-year-old. I get the biggest kick out of these horses that can keep getting better and replicating their form two, three, four, five. That's really tough to do. 
So I love Dak. He's great. Now he's with, he's been with a lot of people. He was Leon Barnes horse. Uh, and then now he's with Toby and boy, what a meet Toby's having. But you know, Ghost Bear, he's on the rail and I don't want to dismiss that horse either because Esteban Rubio told me last year, he said, my owner, Sarah Husky, didn't want to put this horse in the race. I told her he could win. He could win at 550. And then he goes and he wins a stakes at 550. It was really kind of cool, you know? Yeah, no doubt about it. And he comes in uh, looking to kind of get restarted after a, uh, maybe just a, maybe a race that he needed last time out in the Harris County. Nobody was beating Stone Cold Leader on that particular evening. And uh, thankfully for the balance of this field, Stone Cold Leader's been retired, which is connected. Yeah, yeah he's retired. He's back with the Richardson family in South Carolina. You know, it was funny that night he told me and I said it on the microphone and then I looked at all the publications, got my notes and nobody put it in. It's like, dudes, I'm not saying something like that unless the owner is standing there on the microphone with me and making the announcement. You know, we're not rumor mongers here. We're telling the truth, you know, but it came to yeah. us first. So that was good. You know, that's, hey, the that's other person, race, I don't know how you feel about a fleeting kiss, but two in a row, 350, uh, trying 550 for the first time. Again, a good chance, you know, for that Tudor Jordan uh, trainee. I kind of like the fleeting kiss, too. Yeah, definitely on the improve, no doubt about it. Followed up that good two-life win with another game score. I guess if she can handle the 550, that would only be the, uh, the the biggest concern. I thought I Am Tough on the outside was a little interesting for Kai Mashinsky. Probably draw, drew too tough a field last time out going 870. Shortens up in the 550 race back in October at Lone Star, albeit on a wet track, was good enough. This horse was third behind Dak in the uh, TQHA 550 last year, so plenty of reasons to like uh, I Am Tough, I thought. Yeah, no, really. I think uh, a lot of these races could uh, be, you know, are formful, but a lot of them could have a little bit of a intrigue to them as well. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's cool. And, you know, it's funny, last night when we were handicapping, you and I sometimes have very different angles in terms of ferreting out these horses, but it's really interesting to hear your take. You know, I'm maybe more of the pedigree and I've seen this horse or that, but you look at it from a little different perspective. So, uh, yeah, you've got great insight. Of course, Trey does as well. I mean, I think we have a really good core group of people trying to educate and handicap these quarter horses this season. Yeah, I appreciate that. I'm sure Trey would as well. He and I are going to tell you what we can see on paper. Everything else is just uh, sort of in la-la land for us, but uh, <laughs> that's okay. There's there's some, there's some a balance. There's a yin and yang there that I think you need a little bit of. Yeah. Uh, the fourth stake race on this 10-race card with six stakes is the Miss Sam Houston, which will go as race five. It's going to kick off the Space City Pick 6, which will be a mandatory payout on Saturday evening. It's got a carryover of about $1,800 going into Friday's card. I would imagine nobody will hit it. Nobody seems to really hit it unless it's a trial night when there's a little bit more money in the pool and the uh, winners are pretty formful. I, I installed a pretty heavy morning line favorite at number eight leading Senorita who comes back from a long layoff now in the character of Ricardo Aguirre. I guess the question here, Martha, is if this horse runs as well as she did in her best races last year, there's basically no chance that she'll lose. The problem is she's run three times in, in about two and a half years. That's not the greatest sign. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm a bit worried I, I ha didn't do a whole lot of looking into her because this race I thought was kind of, I think this is a long shot race. I think there's going to be an upset in this race. And of course, I can't quite figure out who's going to do it. I've got a couple ideas. But yeah, that's a pretty long, uh, you know, layoff to come back into a stakes race, a little tricky. And if she was like a night's out, but she really, you know, her two prior races um, in Houston weren't so great. I mean, she was in stakes company. I don't really put too much merit in Gillespie. I hate to say it. I mean, they're really great a little fair me, but a uh, win at Gillespie doesn't really float my boat, but we'll see. I mean, I hope for Ricardo, he's kind of taken over some of the um, 
uh, Leon Bardhorses. He's a young guy. I'd love for to see him, you know, get a stakes win. It would mean a lot to him. But, um, you know, there's a few others I think we have to talk about. And among those, who do you think? I thought, I, I will admit, I kind of popped out and I picked leading Senorita just because I thought her best races were a little bit too good for them. I guess if I was looking for a bit of a price, best Moonflash seemed to make some sense, maybe needed the last start. Third off the layoff now drawn a little bit more towards the outside for John Steinbond, Brian Candonosa. Yeah, very, very good duo there and uh, prepped pretty well here. Again, moving up in class. Uh, the horse was in the Rainbow Oaks, but 10th in the Rainbow Oaks last year. So it's hard to kind of ignore that back class and the money that uh, even if she didn't win, that's a pretty great group of fillies. But I'm always a big respecter of Jorge Haddad. He um, has a ranch in uh, Seguin, Texas. He breeds a lot of his horses. He's the one that stands uh, the Louisiana cartel. And also, and I've screwed this pronunciation last night, but inseparable or inseparable. I don't know how you would pronounce it. But he's got two by inseparable. <laughs> how would you, how are you going to pronounce it? I was going to make you ask Jorge Haddad if he wanted this to be inseparable or inseparable. I only went with inseparable uh, last time because of the law. Right, I'll ask him. I will ask him for you and I'll have the answer tomorrow because I do. I definitely want to talk. I'm doing the show with Trey and I'm definitely going to talk about these two uh, fillies. They're both four year old mares. And, you know, he, he just he can come through and their allowance horses for the most part. But we're not stepping up to a world class group here. So I don't know, for some reason, Pronto Alexa, 20 to one. Uh, La Inseparable will probably get a little more um, action on the tote board. But uh, and Ali Rivera, you know, you've got two good riders. Milanco, oh, this is going to be a great race, come to think of it, you know. Yeah. And so I guess uh, uh, of those horses, I would pretty much agree with um, with the back class of Best Moonflash. I'm not sure leaving Senorita, I'll be happy for it. But then those two Haddad horses are the other ones that I would consider. I agree. Pretty cool. Sam Houston, 250. Let's go to race number seven, which is the Sam Houston starter. Two more stakes for us to talk about on this card. This is $40,000 in the purse at 350 yards. And again, thank you to our friends at the TQHA for bringing you this Sam Houston closing night podcast. This is for horses that have started for a claiming price of 10000 or less in the last couple of years. And the three ladies diamond last ran for a tag here in Texas. It came back in December of 2021. Since then, for his new trainer, he's run three times in New Mexico with a win, a second, and a fourth place finish that really, quite honestly, Martha, are all much too good for the competition here. Yeah. Will Ladies Diamond be able to duplicate that uh, that form from the Land of Enchantment? No, that was kind of it. That's an interesting uh, That's an interesting horse. I think the morning line is correct, though, uh, based on what you're seeing. Uh, on you better say that. Yeah, and then I think that, um, you know, I always talk about, uh, well, it's a different, yeah. I don't know if the trainer, I think that's a, that's a different trainer. You know how we always talk about uh, Jose Sanchez, Jorge Sanchez, I don't know as well. But, uh, yeah, Oscar Cadeau, they're bringing in the regular jockey to ride, so obviously I think they have a stakes, uh, stakes opportunity. I think maybe the horse that I would be looking at would be the EM Jess Rona's Cash, um, the a five-year-old gelding by Jess Lips uh, right, running for Galvan, uh, Mr. Galvan. Is, uh, uh, he's had a good meet, Luis Vivanco aboard, seventh in the last, but if you look too back at Lone Star, not bad at all. Yeah, agreed. I thought uh, that was one of the logical alternatives to uh, the likely favorite who will be the three ladies diamond. Um, Raul Galvan has had a very solid meet start to finish. Again, as you mentioned, third in the standings, tied for second in the standings, actually, with Toby Keaton going into the final two cards. Lethal White Veil, 
now in the care of Juan Diaz Jr. Back off a short layoff, last seen at Remington getting into some trouble in a grade two stake. This is a horse who I probably should have made shorter on the morning line. She's going to take some money. She's probably the next likeliest winner after the favorite. Yeah, exactly. And Carlos Ponce is pretty much poised to pick up the owner title. I think he's got three on Donna Mushinsky. So, uh, yeah, I know that's a good meet for him as well. That is the Sam Houston starter, which goes as race number seven. The final stake race on the program will be race nine, the Willie Hickman Memorial, named for one of the uh, popular late members of the racing office. So the Willie Hickman Memorial is at, 100, is, is at 400 yards, $100,000 event for yeah. Texas Breds. And uh, we've got a good field together here. It ended up being a field of eight all in all. Famous Chief coming in off a grade two win in the Sam Houston Classic, a very likely heavy favorite here. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I looked at that and I was like, that horse was darn good in the Sam Houston Classic. And that's a great, great at stake. And so you see that and then you see who he's facing in this one. Very impressive. Uh, of course, uh, you know, probably I think the morning line is per perfect. The seven horse is time to deal. We certainly saw what those connections can do with us. Uh, the Steinbaugh and Scarmardo and uh, good at this distance, obviously running third in that race. I don't think he really had any trouble per se, but he just faced the monster. But every now and then, you know, you have like last night, for example, when uh, the fastest qualifier in the John Deere stumbled a little bit out of, and then it was not his race anymore. Then it became a political um, dynamite's race. So, you know, that's the only thing that probably could derail a uh, you know, famous chief is if he doesn't break well or if he has some traffic issues or whatever. But you know, probably for me, I'd have to say his time to deal. And maybe, I don't know, what do you think about the 10 horse, Rock Solid Stones? I didn't think this one was without chance. I actually picked him fourth. Um, hasn't won since September of last year, but been keeping some pretty good company. I think the horses that were in the Leon Bard Memorial likely fit pretty well in right. here. State breads of the same type of, of age group. Um, I do think, I think those were straight threes. This is three and up. That's probably the only big difference. The other horse that I thought was interesting in here was the 3-1 Famous Dash for Mark Youngers, second off the layoff. Uh, this one was 5-1 to one in the uh, Sam Houston Stakes last time out. Got bumped coming out of the gate a couple times and ended up really losing all chance from there. The devil made me do it, came back and ran credibly last night. So I thought one Famous Dash might be a little interesting. Yeah, that's that's a good – and that's the one thing we've talked about in our show. And whenever I'm on the road, I said, look, you've got to look at the, uh, the trip notes when you're handicapping these because just because a horse finished 10th does not mean they're a 10th place horse. It means that they had some bad luck. And if they get a better trip, cleaner break, unimpeded path to the wire, I always like to say, uh, then we're talking a different story. Yeah, in fact, and Famous Chief is a horse who I picked last time out, not that I'm patting myself on the back. He was only <laughs> seven to two. I'll take credit for better prices than that. But um, he had actually had a little trouble early in that Leo at Remington, and that thing was just a – that was a shark tank. Oh, that was yeah, a really yeah the, 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 all those graded stakes at Remington are huge. The Leo has always had um, unbelievable horses. I mean, these horses – we didn't get as many. You know, it was interesting because Remington was over a couple weeks ago. I thought we'd get a little more flurry of – uh, Oklahoma connection, but they can uh, now they can go up to um, Fair Meadows and Tulsa. It's a little closer now that diesel is so expensive. We talk about gas prices, but these horsemen, you know, are taking these big trailers across the country and paying obscene amounts of money for gas. So maybe they figure, well, I'd like to come to Houston for a steak, but we'll go up to Tulsa and Will Rogers Downs or, or whatever. Not Will Rogers. Uh, Tulsa is Fair Meadows and Tulsa. Save a little money on the diesel. Makes sense. I can't blame him for doing so, given the current conditions. That's yeah. a little bit of uh, five. Especially your, your condition. You move into a nice new home, not exactly in 
stone's throw distance of Sam Houston race park. No, 28 uh, miles in each direction. And I don't drive a very fuel efficient vehicle either. So it's uh, those, those were decisions that pre, uh, pre Sam Houston announcing, I probably would have made a little bit differently, but oh, well, we'll, we'll take our lumps and deal with it. Well, I'm glad you made the right decision because we love having you there. Well, that's very kind of you, and I love doing it, no question about it. Well, that's been an extended look at the six stakes races on closing night. Again, we will force out every pool, including the uh, Houston High Five, which will be offered up in races three and ten. We go into Friday night's program with a carryover in the Houston High Five of, I think, about $3,000. We've got a carryover of a little over $1,400 in the uh, Space City Pick 6 going into Friday night again. We're taping this on Friday, and the races are going to take place on Saturday night. So just uh, play along on Friday night and that'll let you know exactly what we have in terms of meat on the bone for this program. Martha, I'm sure it's been as memorable a quarter horse meet for you as we've had. Yeah, it's a, well, you know, I love them all. And of course, last year was a little less, less memorable. We had a, a few glitches here and there, but, uh, and then the year before we didn't even have one, Nick, you know, we were, didn't run that summer because of COVID. So it's always nice to see uh, you know, we're lucky that we have a dedicated meet. I mean, my friends in Indiana, they have the thoroughbred and the quarter horse. So usually the pattern is, uh, you know, eight thoroughbreds and one or two quarter horses every day. Then they have some dedicated all quarter horse days. But we're really lucky to be able to focus on one breed, to be able to follow the patterns, be able to follow the, um, the leaders. It just makes it a little bit easier than trying to go back and forth and figure it out. Yeah, no question about it. It's nice to have it just all dedicated and you know, gives us the opportunity to start refurbishing the turf course for the thoroughbred meet that'll take place next January. It has been a great meet quarter horse wise from start to finish and certainly had some some fast nights on these hot summer evenings at, at uh, Sam Houston. It's been a lot of fun for me as well. Martha, I can't thank you enough for joining me. And of course, everybody can get prepared to see you on the Sam Houston broadcast Saturday night. Yeah, with windy hair, you know, if people say, do you use hairspray? It doesn't look. In this heat and humidity, I could use all the hairspray in the world, and my hair would still be blowing all over. But I love it. And it was funny the other day, one of the trainers or somebody tried to fix my hair. I said, thanks, but it, no, <laughs> it doesn't happen. But no, I love being out there with the, with the people. I'm looking forward to handicapping with Trey. And I'm telling you, he's geared up. When you see these carryovers, that guy gets geared up. We're going to have a lot of fun. So, yeah, thank you for having me on the podcast. It's a pleasure, Nick. You're doing a great job. Always fun to talk to you. We, we have some fun behind the scenes, too. We can't share all of our private jokes, but we have some fun. No question about it. Thank you again, Martha, for joining us. Thank you to our friends at the TQHA for making this podcast possible. This has been another production of the In The Money Media Network. Make sure that you uh, stick around the In The Money Media Network for all of our weekend content, including a couple of Royal Ascot podcasts that uh, Pete Fornatel still has for both. Uh, well, actually, at this point, there's just Saturday left. But we also have the uh, Players Podcast for Saturday, which will cover Lone Star, Woodbine, Mammoth on its own custom segment, as well as the late pick five at Belmont. It's another big weekend of racing. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. If I don't hear, you don't hear from me between now and then. Again, from Martha Claussen, Nick Tamaro here. Until next time, best of luck.